in North Carolina, a couple went for a walk on their property with their dogs and they found a tin can sticking out of the ground on the path they were walking on. And they drew closer to the can and then they started opening it up. They dug up the can and they discovered that the can was filled with gold pieces. This is a true story. And um, they kept digging and they found more tin cans and they ended up finding over 1,400 gold coins, hidden treasure, gold coins that was buried away ages ago and is that stage worth over $10 million. One of the coins in their collection was, worth, was so rare and so valuable that it was worth over a million dollars. Another man in the Philippines was a fisherman. He found a pearl, also a true story. He found a pearl and he kept it as a lucky charm, not knowing what he had and how much it was worth. Eventually, when he decided to get this thing valued, um, they discovered that it was worth over 100 million rand. This pearl was so big, it weighed over 34 kilograms. <laughs> he kept it as a lucky charm. Can you imagine stumbling across a treasure like that? Walking along, along a road and discovering over $10 million, convert that to rand, see how much that's, that is worth, discovering that on the road, or discovering this $100 million pearl, what sort of relief would that bring to you? What sort of joy would that bring to you? How much of your worries would that take away? What you do for a moment, just experience that feeling. Dream a little bit. Have some fun with that. We're in week three of a series called Moral of the Story. And we've been looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught. And we're going to do the same thing today. So I'm going to read you two parables. And they're awesome because they are very short. And Matthew 13 verse 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it appears that both of these parables are making the same point. In both of these parables, there, were, there was an exceptionally um, valuable treasure, priceless treasure. In both of these pearls, there was a man who sold everything that he had to acquire this treasure. And when I started studying this passage and, and I looked at it, I was convinced that I knew what it meant. I was convinced I knew what the treasure was, and I was convinced I knew who the man was in the peril. I thought I knew who Jesus was speaking about and what he was speaking about. But the more I studied the scripture, the more I discovered that there's a dual meaning to this passage. <laughs> and as I was preparing, I remember thinking to myself, Jacques, you chose the wrong parable. Because which, which, which definition are you going to go with? Because which one is right? Because what happens if you go with the one, but actually someone discovers that it actually means something else. And now you're on YouTube and the whole world's going to see <laughs> that you messed up the meaning of a parable that Jesus told. So what I decided to do was I was going to share the dual meaning with you today. I'm going to unpack both of the definitions or both of the meanings of these parables. And I really trust that God would speak to you and bring transformation on the inside 
of you and hopefully that will overflow into a transformed life. So just some background. Jesus, whenever he told a par- parable, he, he used the context to illustrate something. He spoke directly to something that his listeners would understand and know about. So when he spoke about a hidden treasure, even though it's foreign to us, his listeners understood what he was talking about. Hidden treasure for people in that time was very common. For example, um, cities would often be overthrown by armies. And then the victors would take their spoils and then they would take all the treasure they could find. So to protect your wealth, you would hide your treasure in a field. You would bury it so that if something like that happened, you won't lose everything. People understood what Jesus was talking about. So then when he says a man finds a treasure like this in a field, we see this field didn't belong to this man. And and the question that that it raises is, did this man act unethically? Because he finds this treasure, Jesus says, then he covers it up again, then he runs home, sells all that he has, then goes to the owner of this field, purchases it from him, and then he's got this um, super pricey, super... What's the word I'm looking for, Barry? (laughs) Valuable. (laughs) This man finds a super valuable treasure um, in this field that he bought. So the question then is, did he act um, unethically? So Jewish rabbinic law was very clear on this. He did not act unethically. It actually states that if you found a hidden treasure, something like this, anywhere on someone else's property that was even on the threshold of the owner's house, the owner was not the owner of the treasure. You could even find something of value inside the wall of that person's house. If it was at the center line, closer to the outside, I could, for example, lay claim to it, and it did not belong to the owner. We also know that this treasure did not belong to the owner because when the man came to the owner and said, I want to purchase this field, the owner did not go and dig up the treasure because it did not actually belong to him. So he didn't act unethically. So here is the question. What do these parables mean? Think about that for a moment. Who is the person who finds the treasure or the pearl? And what exactly is the treasure? What exactly is the, the pearl with great value? What is Jesus talking about here? And I thought I knew. I thought I understood exactly what I was going to speak about today. Then I discovered it has a dual meaning. Now let's look at these meanings. First thing I want to highlight. So what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to... I'm going to Describe the dual meanings by looking at the two different parables. Even though they have the same meanings, I'm going to illustrate it by looking at the two different parables. So let's look at the one about the treasure, the hidden treasure, okay? So the first thing we need need to highlight about this parable is that the treasure is, in fact, the kingdom of God. And the man in this parable is you. So what Jesus is describing in this parable is the kingdom of God, and that when you discover the kingdom of God, you realize with great joy that it is so valuable that you should, in essence, sell all your belongings, get the money, and buy, and do anything you can to get hold of this treasure. So the treasure in this parable refers to the kingdom of God. That's the first meaning. It refers to the kingdom of God. I want to highlight a few things about this kingdom. The first thing is, 
that this treasure or this kingdom has immense value or it is priceless, okay? What Jesus is illustrating here is that everything that this world has to offer is pure loss compared to Christ and knowing Christ and being part of his kingdom. Everything this world has to offer. That's why the man sold everything. Consider it as pure loss if you could gain Christ and step into his kingdom. And Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss. He uses the word loss again. I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul here in Philippians says that everything this world has to offer, he says, is rubbish compared to gaining Christ. So Christ is making a point here. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is that valuable. Kingdom of heaven is valuable because it offers salvation to anyone who needs it. It offers freedom. It offers abundance. It offers healing. It offers restoration. The kingdom of God offers joy. Look at what that parable says. Second part of verse 44. It says, Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he, all that he has to buy the land. In his joy. Christ is speaking about an immense joy here. Now, I've been a Christian for 15 to 17 years or so, and I've come across many believers who have zero joy in their lives. I remember many years ago, I belonged to a church, and, and there was this man who invited us to his home, my pastor and I, and we went to visit him, and my pastor and I were telling jokes, and he said, what, what are you joking about? He says, the kingdom of God is a serious thing. And I, and I, I agreed. I said, yeah, it's definitely a serious thing. And to this day, I can remember that man's face. It was a grumpy face. I can't remember ever seeing this man have a smile on his face, ever. You don't have to be embarrassed about experiencing joy. God wants you to experience joy. This parable illustrates that the kingdom of God brought this man so much joy that he sold everything to gain the kingdom. Joy is from God and he wants you to have and experience joy. John 10 verse 10 makes it clear to us. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that you may have an abundant life. That's God's desire. That's Jesus saying this. Okay? How true is that for us in this time? How much is the thief stealing your joy? Killing your passion, your peace, destroying relationships, finances. That's what the thief does. But Jesus says, I have come to give you an abundant life. So it's important to note this joy, especially during this time. This word may even be a prophetic word for you. That Christ wants to restore your joy and your brokenness that you've lost during this time. I remember having to redefine my definition of blessing, the word blessing. I went on a mission trip 
Um, and the place we went to was extremely, extremely poor. And the people who we ministered to were extremely poor as well. And the, we went to their church, and they didn't actually have a church building. They met in a, in a tent, and their homes were huts. And um, I remember the thing that stood out for me about this group of people was the incredible joy that they had. They were always smiling and always laughing and always enjoying life. And they always spoke about the blessing of God. They threw around, around the word, I'm blessed all the time. The blessing of God was a word that they used all the time. And my definition of blessing up until this stage was not what they had seen blessing to be. My, my definition of blessing came from the things God had given you. And I remember forming this theology very early in my, in my Christian life. Um, I remember meeting a person who, who, who shared with me that they, their friends and family were, were becoming jealous of them because God was blessing them so much financially. And, and, they, and she gave a list of things that God had given them and blessed them with. One of the things that he gave them was, I remember her saying that God gave them an Audi A3 that they won. They, they, they didn't actually pay for it. And then, and then she said, it's not our fault. God is blessing us. It's not our fault that God is blessing us. And I remember thinking, why is God blessing them and not me? Here I am on my red scooter that dies in the rain. Every time it rains, I drive on my scooter. I'm, in the, I'm on a scooter, first of all, in the rain. Why did I not get the free Audi A3? I was thinking. And I started wondering, why would God bless some people and not bless other people? And I limited my definition of blessing to things God gave me. That cannot only be what blessing is. And this group of people understood blessing to be much richer than just the things God gave them. They understood blessing to be inheriting or discovering this treasure, namely the kingdom of God, namely God himself, namely Jesus Christ. They understood that they, they were blessed not because they had things, but because they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They once were orphans, just like you and I, but now they've met their Father. And they were reunited with their Heavenly Father, God, through Jesus Christ. They understood they were blessed because of Jesus Christ and because they had a relationship with the Creator of the universe. And that's why they had this immense joy, even in the midst of this poverty, they had the most exceptional joy. And I remember their smiling faces to this day. Jesus was not saying, okay, he was not saying that the kingdom of God can be bought. Very, very easy to think that because he's saying there's this treasure and it's the kingdom of God. And a man sold everything he had, got money for it. To buy this treasure. Jesus was not saying that the kingdom of God can be bought with money or earned with your good works. He was not saying that. How can I know that for sure? How can we know that? We need to look at what other scriptures say about salvation and how we acquire or gain the kingdom of God. I'm going to quote one verse. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, okay? You cannot purchase this. It's not from yourselves. You cannot earn salvation because it's not from yourselves. Then Paul says, it is the gift of God. So he's saying salvation is a gift of God that we receive through grace by faith. 
So Jesus is not saying you can purchase the kingdom. So what is he saying then? What is he talking about? What's clear through this passage is that the man had to let go of something he held on to. So in the story, it's physical things, money, possessions. But I think what Jesus is highlighting here is he is saying you need to let go of an old system, an old kingdom, an old way of thinking, an old theology. Leave that all behind. And then come and completely take on the treasure because it will bring you great joy. And all those lists of benefits I just mentioned. He's not saying you can purchase it. He's saying let go of an old way of thinking. That is what repentance is. It is to turn away completely from something and take, on to some, and take hold of something new, namely the kingdom of God. Your, my challenge and your challenge is that we hold on to this old lifestyle, old way of thinking, old philosophy, old theology. We discover the treasure on this side and we don't let go of either of them. We hold on to both of them and it pulls us into both directions and it will eventually tear you apart. Jesus is saying, don't do that. He's saying, let go of the one and grab hold of the other. Grab hold of the kingdom of God because it is priceless. What are you holding on to? What theology are you holding on to that's not part of the kingdom of God? What philosophies of life are you holding on to right now that's not part of the kingdom of God that you need to let go of, to step into properly the kingdom of God and experience all of its fullness and joy? I want to challenge you and encourage you to let go. Everything this world has to offer is rubbish, according to Paul, compared to what the kingdom of God has to offer. The second meaning. I hope you've been trying to work out what, this, what a second meaning could be. So the first one I said, the treasure is the kingdom of God and the man is you and me, okay? Needing to find the kingdom. What is the second meaning? I mentioned in the beginning a dual meaning and I was going to highlight a dual meaning, two meanings of the same parable today. Have you thought of another one? Some people would argue there's more than just two meanings. They would say there's two or three or four even. I'm not going to go into four. I'm going to highlight second one. So to do that, I'm going to look at this, the second parable. So I'm going to read it to you again. Verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So it's essentially the same story, except we're speaking about a merchant here. There's a slight difference between these two stories, okay? Not only because the one is a merchant and the other one, we don't know actually what this man was doing in the field. But this merchant didn't just stumble upon the treasure. This merchant was in search of a treasure. This merchant was in search of fine pearls. Now, pearls was a great way to store up wealth. I mentioned earlier on, there were no banks back in the day, so you couldn't put your money in a bank to keep it safe when an enemy army came. You had to either invest properly in, in real estate, or you would bury money, or you would invest in pearls. It was a great way to have your money in a portable format. But to get these pearls was really difficult. They had none of the modern gear that we have. There were no snorkels, there were no goggles, there were no air tanks, there were no 
proper weights, what these people did was they had to dive very deep under the water, often had to tie rocks onto them to get these pearls. It was very dangerous. Many people died. So when a great pearl was discovered, people knew the effort that it took to gain one of these pearls. And this merchant was traveling all over in search of a great pearl. And then he found one. And then he found one. What I love about this is Jesus is not teaching us how to invest well. Wise investors would diversify, invest in real estate, bury some money, invest in pearls. This merchant sold everything, sold all his real estate, dug up all his treasure and purchased this pearl of great, great value. So my question is, what is the pearl? Who is the pearl? Who is the man or the merchant? The second meaning is that the pearl is you. You are the treasure of great value. You are priceless. You are so valuable, in fact, that the merchant, God himself, Jesus Christ, gave up everything, his life. He paid the full price to gain the pearl, which is you. Listen to this verse. Ezekiel 4, uh, 34, verse 11. Thus, this is God speaking. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for sheep, my sheep, and I will seek them out. Just like the merchant. God is saying, I myself will search for the sheep, and I will seek them out. He's been searching for you. And he paid a lot of wealth for you, his son. Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save, came to seek like the merchant and to save the lost pearl. 1 John 4 verse 19 says that we love God because He first loved us. So it's clear that the second meaning from this parable is that you are the treasure and the merchant Jesus Christ is seeking for you and He gave up everything, He gave up His life to gain you. There's a story about a certain Indian tribe who was going through an immense drought and there was limited resources and food. And what was happening in the village was people started stealing from one another to survive. The chief said that this is not going to work. We're going to kill each other if we keep doing this. Then he put in a new law. He said that the next person caught stealing from anyone else will be taken to the center of the village, tied to a pole, and would be beaten. The next day, they caught a thief. They brought the thief to the, to the chief. And this thief was his own mom. And everyone saw it was his own mom. And everybody was saying, what is he going to do? Is he going to be a just ruler? Is he going to break the law because it's his mom? Surely, if they beat her, like he said, she might die. She's old and she's frail. She may not make it. What is he going to do? And he gave the orders. He said, take her to the center of the village. Tie her to the pole and bring the punisher. And then before he gave the order for the mom to be beat, to be beaten, he wrapped his arms around her, covered her completely with his body. And he said, now you may execute and pay. She will pay the full price. Beat her now. But I'm standing in the way. 
and he took the full punishment for her transgressions. He paid the full price for her transgressions. Jesus Christ paid the full price for your transgressions. He nailed all of your guilt and shame to the cross. And he doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. And the reason I speak about guilt is because during lockdown, I'm discovering how often I feel guilty. My whole family is at home. My wife and my kids, they're not going to school at this stage. Um, they're going to be going soon, I reckon. <laughs> they're bouncing off the walls and they are driving me crazy. But I found with myself that I'm losing my temper with them often. I would snap often and I would treat them in ways that I shouldn't be treating them often. And what that does to me is it makes me feel an extreme amount of guilt. And then every time I pray, every night when I pray and I come to God, that's the first thing that comes up. And, and Christ keeps reminding me, I have removed all of your guilt and shame from you and I've nailed it to the cross. Please receive my forgiveness now and the joy that comes with that and love your children the same way I love you. Show them grace and mercy the same way I show you grace and mercy. You are the pearl, and Jesus loves you. So, what is the moral of the story? Moral of the story is that everything this world has to offer is worthless compared to knowing Christ and discovering his kingdom. And you are priceless to him. You are the apple of his eye, and you need to know it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that when we discover this treasure of your kingdom, we get to let go of everything this world has to offer and take on and receive as a free gift this treasure that you give us through Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for all the joy that comes with that. Father, my prayer is for our people who are listening to this message right now. Some of us have lost our joy and our peace during this time. And my prayer is where the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, we come up against that right now in Jesus' name. And we declare, thief, that all of your attacks are powerless and worthless. Because even in the midst of extreme poverty, we will experience the joy of the Lord because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And Father God, I thank you that you are the merchant who travels from city to city, in search of a fine pearl, and you discovered us, and you gave up everything, Christ Jesus, your life to gain us. You paid the full price. You took the, the lashing on your back so that we would receive mercy. In Jesus' name.